Good morning, July 12th, and we are in Pentecost season, the fifth Sunday. The sermon today is Christ, our Redeemer, our Deliverer. Sometimes the smallest thing can tell a greater story. Take my dad's letters that he received and sent while in Europe during World War II. All two trunks of them that my sister and I discovered. Stone markers, on the other hand, tell stories of Civil War battles in the South. The smallest things can tell much greater stories, extending over time, involving many people. Consider a well-used silver cup, about the size of a chalice, that was found buried in the homestead of a once prosperous Roman family. When Mount Vesuvius erupted in 79 AD, it was valuable enough to be buried in a wine cellar, but not valuable enough to be taken along with the family as they fled for safety. This one small cup, belonging to one unnamed family, told a much larger story. It told the story of gods and humans, the story of Rome and what it was like to live under the rule of Caesar Augustus. Because you see, on the one side of the cup, there was the image of Augustus, surrounded by gods. He is seated and being handed the world by Venus and by winged victory, while Mars, the god of war, brings before him a multitude of conquered nations. On the other side of the cup is the image of Augustus ruling over people. Here the image is one of mercy and not of war. Augustus is seated people are coming before him and he extends one hand out to the people while on the other hand he holds a spear or a dagger. This image of the emperor was common throughout the Roman world at the time Paul wrote this letter. It was carved into marble friezes and printed on coins molded onto ceremonial cups like the one found in the Italian villa. It helped people understand what it meant to be faithful. Faithfulness was the word used to describe the relationship between the conqueror and the conquered. The emperor held, for, held both power and mercy. In power, he would protect his people, so you see him with a spear in his hand. In mercy, he would rule his people, and so you see him reaching out with an open hand. Power and mercy in this one figure, ruling over people, one small actor in the much larger story of the gods. When Paul wrote Romans, he offered another story of another conqueror who ruled over people in power and mercy. He put it in such a way that culturally, the people of that time would probably be able to identify with those themes since they were on friezes and in cups and everything, to identify with Jesus as the conqueror, both in power and mercy. This is God and man, Jesus Christ. The small portion of the letter that we have before us today in Romans, Romans 7, is well known among Lutherans. It names a struggle, the struggle between sinner and saint. But this struggle is real and hidden in the heart of every person. Some people confess this struggle openly, asking others to help them in relationships of accountability. Others hide this struggle, putting on the best face they can and hiding their actual struggle. All people, however, suffer this struggle, and it is not something like that cup that can be left behind. 
until the day when our conqueror, Jesus Christ, returns, we will be involved in this struggle of being a sinner and a saint, a struggle of faithfulness to our conquering hero. In chapter 7, Paul's description is personal. It's individual. Paul tells the story of himself, the man, a one, one struggle that never seems to end for him. Paul knows the good that God desires, and Paul himself agrees with this desire because it's God's law, and God's law is holy. He acknowledges that what God wants is indeed good. Paul desires to be faithful to his ruler, Christ. Yet Paul also discovers that he is, as he says in verse 14, sold under sin. Paul uses the language of slavery and of captivity. His members wage war, and he is captive to the laws of sin, as he says in verse 23. Paul knows the good that he wants to do, but he's unable to do it. Instead, he finds that, what he doesn't want to do, and that's what he does. A slave to sin. He has no choice. He serves sin. A captive to his flesh. Paul cries out for deliverance from the ruler to have mercy on him. His story, however, is not the story of only one man. The story that touches all people is Paul's story. Paul's cry is that of Cain, knowing the good that God wants him to do, and yet also knowing the evil that is close his hand, and he chooses to kill Abel. Joseph's brothers struggle, knowing the good care and concern they should show for their brother, and yet also knowing the evil judgment and the sale of Joseph into slavery that eventually overtakes them. King David, knowing the good rule of his kingdom and protection of his people that God desired, and yet also knowing the evil pleasures of adultery and the murder that he could use to cover it up. From individuals to families to nations, this captivity continues through the ministry of Jesus, where we see Peter knowing the good that he wanted to do in following Jesus to death, and yet knowing the evil that he actually does in denying his Lord in the courtyard. And it continues to our own lives today. The struggle for faithfulness, the struggle to do what is right, in the face and the temptation of evil that surrounds us. Paul's one small story, his one small revelation of this personal, private experience, one that we can all identify with, is the larger story and experience that we all know so well. But this does not stop with the struggle of his own faithfulness to Christ. Paul's story continues. In fact, there is a much greater story, the story of God, that Paul wants to highlight for all people. The story of God is a story of God's faithfulness. Not our faithfulness to God, but God's faithfulness to his promises to his people. As early as the fall in the Garden of Eden, God had begun telling this story of love. As Adam and Eve stood there naked before God, ashamed of themselves, and yet unable to hide, unable to cover it up, God began to speak of his love. They overheard it. In a conversation he had with the snake, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 
Here was the first glimpse of God's promise. Here was the first glimpse of the greater story of God. He would send one, an offspring of a woman, who would bruise the head of Satan and conquer in the fight. And Adam and Eve lived in hope. The individuals, the families, the nations that followed them lived in hope of this story of God coming true. And the Apostle Paul writes this letter to proclaim that it did come true. It did come true in Jesus Christ, who Paul says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then Paul cries out, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In this section of the letter, Paul lets his one small story become much part of a greater story, the story of Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one who came as our deliverer, as our conqueror. We delivered him up to death as Satan worked through us to bruise his heel, and yet he delivered us from death and from the kingdom of Satan as he revealed his power in his resurrection and called us into the kingdom of God. This God loves us. He dies for us. He rises and raises to give new life. Jesus Christ is Lord, Paul proclaims. And with those words, he invites everyone into God's greater story. Jesus Christ is the one who rules, the one who is greater than Caesar and Caesar's gods. He himself is God. He has come as our deliverer, and he is at the heart of God's greater story of the rescue of his people from slavery and the redemption of all people in the world. There was an artist who once captured this rule of Jesus in a painting. The painting is called Christ and the Four Evangelists, and it depicts Jesus as, in Italian, Salvatore Mundi, the savior of the world. Salvador Billy, here's the story behind it, a Florentine merchant asked Fra Bartolomeo to paint this piece and then placed it in his chapel of the Annunziata, it was later purchased by Medici in 1618 for his private chapel. In 1516, one year before Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church, Fra Bartolomeo was asked to paint this piece for a chapel. In it, Christ is not depicted engraved on either side of a cup, with one side telling the story of the gods and one side telling the story of humans, Rather, he stands on top of the chalice, both God and man, ruling over the world. His one arm holds a scepter with the globe at the top. He truly holds all power and rules over all creation. His other hand, however, is raised in blessing. Through his death and resurrection, he has accomplished salvation for all people, and now rules over all things in love and offers his blessings to the world. For some reason... This image has lost the intimacy of the little silver couple of Augustus. There, Augustus was seated among the people, extending his hand in mercy to them. Here, Christ is above the people. Even the evangelists that surround him appear small when compared with his higher and larger figure. figure. And his hand is raised in blessing, not extended to one individual person in mercy. Yet if you look closely at the image, you will see that Christ has chosen to rule through his people. 
The men who surround him are the evangelists who have written his message, his gospel, that is now still being read to the world. They each hold books in their hands. That's their gospels. The men in the back are looking at Jesus, while the ones in the front are engaged in looking at the world. Matthew looks up at Jesus, and Mark points his finger toward Jesus while conversing with John. Luke stares out over the people, you and me, who are gathered, and, and John points his finger downward. There we see two angels holding a disc, and in that disc is just one place in the much larger world. When this picture was placed in the altar of a chapel, an amazing thing would happen. The priest facing the altar would lead the worshiping community in communion. At this celebration of the Lord's Supper, then the priest consecrated the host. He would raise the host above his head, and there it would appear in that one small window on the world upheld by angels. That body of Christ is the place where God's people meet Jesus. Yes, he has ascended into heaven. His left hand holds the scepter. He has all power and he rules over the world. His right hand is raised in blessing over all. Yet this same day, this same Jesus is found among his people. He is present with us, intimate and near, as he comes in his body and his blood, the chalice and the host, to be your deliverer from sin, your Savior, today. The evangelists proclaim this message. They want us to hear it and to have eyes to see this much larger story. Listen today to the words of Matthew. Here in our gospel reading, Jesus invites you to see and to come to know him. At that time, Matthew says, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and any one to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Here, in a very tangible way, Jesus brings you once again to the heart of this greater story of God, Whenever we gather for the Lord's Supper, we are connected to the much larger story of God's ruling over his world. This is the story of Jesus, our Deliverer, now come among us. The one who rules the world has lifted his hand in eternal blessing, and we now come and receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Yes, we come with our smaller, private stories, the moments that show our unfaithfulness to our Lord, the moments when the good that we want to do, we do not do, and the evil that we don't want to do, we do. That struggle is there, and it's real, and we come confessing our sin. But we also come trusting in our deliverance. Jesus is faithful. He is the one who remains faithful to his promises. Take, eat. Take, drink. This is my body. This is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of sins. Our Lord rules. Jesus is our deliverer. In his hand is power and blessing, and here, this day, we find mercy in his body and blood given and shed for you. At the Lord's Supper, we are joined to this much larger story. 
the story of God saving the world in Jesus. For those who are participating, have chosen to participate in the celebration of communion with the home communion kits that we've prepared. As you lift the cup of salvation to the Lord, his power, his blessing, his mercy extends to you that same mercy and grace and forgiveness through the words of forgiveness in our worship service, but here in communion in a visible and tangible way. And in the word and in the sacrament, he continues to rule until the end of the world. <laughs> 